0: Welcome to Out of the Box Stories. I'm your host, Allison Paradise. Our guest is Steve Miller, executive director and founder of The Lab Project. The Lab Project is a 501c3 nonprofit based in the Boston area that provides pro bono consulting sustainability services to small startup labs. The Lab Project primarily focuses its efforts on supporting women and minority owned labs. Before starting the lab project, Steve was very well known in the Green Labs community for his role in helping to create utility incentives for ultra-low temperature freezers as well as other laboratory equipment when he was at Eversource, which is a utility company in Boston, Massachusetts. During our conversation, Steve shares with us the important work that he's doing now that no one else is doing, as well as what that path has been like for him, and what that path is like for all of us when we have an idea that we're walking towards. His work and his path are incredibly inspiring. Steve shares his wisdom, his passion, and himself in this interview. And I'm so delighted to be able to share this interview with you. Steve joined us from his home in Marblehead, Massachusetts. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Hi, Allison. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you today?
1: It's lovely. Lovely. Happy holidays. We're getting there. Oh,
0: thank you. Thanks. Same to you. Thank you for being here, especially on such short notice. Absolutely. I appreciate it. So for everybody listening, Steve was actually supposed to be on next year. But everybody for November got sick. So (laughs) Steve offered to come on the podcast earlier. And actually, I feel like the timing is pretty perfect because some of the things that have been rattling around in my mind lately are particularly pertinent to the work that you're doing. So it's actually perfect timing. Excellent. It would be great if we could start just by giving some context. So, if you wouldn't mind just sharing how you first got involved with Green Labs.
1: Sure. So, I was I was thinking about this this morning, and I've, energy efficiency has been my career. That's what I've done. that's what I've done. Um, about seven years ago, I had the opportunity to join the local energy efficiency team at the utility here in New England, Eversource, and I was put on a strategic initiatives group team, and my boss at the time. Said, hey, Steve, we don't have anybody focused on labs in Cambridge, and we think it's an up and coming thing that we got to be concerned about. Do you want to take on labs? Sure. Um, Second day of the job, I got invited to a meeting at Harvard. I met Quentin Gilley, sustainability guy for labs at the time. Um, At the end of the meeting, he shook my hand and said, So, what do you do? And I said, Well, yesterday I was given labs to figure out from an energy efficiency point of view. He says, What do you know about labs? I go, not much. He goes, do you know Alice in Paradise? I went, nope. He says, here's her number. You call her. You do exactly what she tells you to do and tell her I sent you. So, and that's what we did. And at the the time, you had just released, um, through My Green Lab, um, the cold storage uh, through Energy Star. And we developed a cold storage program uh, that provided an incentive for folks who were buying new freezers or replacing old freezers with uh, high efficiency ULTs, and then the pandemic hit.
0: Wait, hold on a second. You glossed over this, but I want to point out that even though we prepared that report for the California utility companies, you and Eversource were the first ones to actually develop an incentive around it. Yep, yep. I remember at the time just being blown away because you were absolutely not inhibited or deterred at all by the red tape associated with that or any, any idea in your mind about how difficult it would be? You just did it.
1: Well, the thing that I found is, I mean, I've been in, I started out my career in paper mills with Maine and I've been in most building types throughout my time. When I got to labs, the most interesting part of that process for me was you didn't have to convince anybody anything. I mean, climate change is real. We have a problem with the planet. Labs use 10 times as much of anything, other building type, and they want to help and they want to change. Um, and so it just, it was a natural fit for us. And the beauty is, is that that cold storage program is now being run nationally by another organization. So it's really awesome. to see that it had good legs. And then we got into to all this stuff, you know, fume hoods and airflow and biosafety cabinets and everything you can touch. So it's been a good ride.
0: It's just amazing. I know you're very humble about it. But- If you hadn't done that, I don't even know how much time it would have taken for somebody to have moved on that report. It was, again,
1: the timing was interesting because being in Cambridge and having relationships
0: with folks at
1: Pfizer and Moderna and then the pandemic hit and I knew that things were in the works and we knew what was coming and we knew how the transport was going to happen for the vaccine. Uh, we initiated the program where we were putting freezers in CVSs and Walgreens Whoa. and stopping shops just to hold the stuff for free um, because it was just so important. And it was the ability to give back in a moment when, when you needed to give back something, right? I wasn't a scientist. I wasn't going to find a vaccine, but I could help move stuff. And we did. And it was just the very sad thing.
0: My goodness, you're amazing. I've only known you now. I'm just realizing I've not known you for that long. It's only been <laughs> six years then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Six, seven years. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. I feel like I've known you forever. So then the pandemic hits and we all go home. And then I remember sometime during the pandemic, we had a conversation about your inspiration to do something different. So let's talk about that.
1: It was a a little more than a year ago, summer of last year, you and I were chatting and you started whispering in my ear saying, you ought to take what you're doing and broaden your vision, not just from energy, but to embrace sustainability in, in all its parts and pieces, you know, energy, water, biohazard, recycling, all that stuff, and launch a nonprofit, And we did. So in October of last year, I hired my project manager, Megan, who's amazing. In January of this year, I left Eversource and we launched the lab project. This is a Truon 501c3 Got all the IRS stuff taken care of. We got a handful of donors, keeps us alive. We got a handful of clients that we help. Um, we've got a lot of good strategic advisors and strategic partners that keep us current and we provide a path, a gateway. And one of the things that early on when I was would be talking with either donors or clients and that's why, why am I doing this? And, I, and my my natural reaction was to say, I just want to help. That's... That's just what I want to do. I just want to help. And Megan, in all of her wisdom, came to me and she goes, "We need to be a little bit more direct and a little bit more forceful." So while you say you want to help, I get that, but maybe what we really want to do is shift the industry, so where sustainability becomes just innate and part of your natural. You know, basically, we want to put ourselves out of business is what we want to do. And so when we message now to folks, we we use we want to shift the industry. We want to be impactful. And I always lean back on the other part of why is that I got three grandsons that I need to have a plan for them to live in. And it's not, it's not looking good right now. So we're trying to do what we can.
0: Can you speak more to what the the vision for the organization is? Because it's for for people listening, they might not know exactly how it's different than say what Migraine Lab does or what I2SL does, or if they're listening in Europe, with S-Labs or um, LEAF or any of those other LEAF, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how is it different from... We
1: use all of those parts and pieces from My Green Lab, from LEAF. So we are on the ground. We provide solutions. So the, the, the elevator pitch is, is that the Lab Project has a mission to provide sustainability guidance for those labs that want to become sustainable but don't know where to start. And... Ideally, our target audience and who we work with are women in BIPOC live very much in under-resourced areas and under-resourced communities that don't have access to utility rebates, don't have access to people who are doing great things on the recycling side of things, that don't have access to styrofoam recycling, don't have access to any of this stuff, just because they, they're, they're scientists, and their day-to-day job is to save people's lives. And we come in and we unburden them. We take on that on that resource, on that issue, and we come back to them and provide them Options. We don't sell anything. Everything we do is pro bono. I'll give you a, a good example i like to use is we're working with a small lab in the, the Burbs of Boston. Actually, Megan met the lab manager at a conference we were at. And we have been working with her for a while, kind of walking through the various categories of issues. Again, styrofoam, waste, airflow management, hoods, all, all that stuff. And on one of the calls early, early on, I asked her, I said, what's the one thing that keeps you up at night?" And she said to me, every night we send out our lab coats to be dry cleaned and they come back wrapped, individually wrapped in plastic. Ooh. She goes, I have bags of plastic in my basement. I don't know what to, I don't know how to stop this. And I said, well, who's your dry cleaning company? And she told me. So I called them up. I said, I got a client. They send you their lab coats every night and you ship them back wrapped in plastic. And they don't like that. What's their option? And the person on the phone says, just have her call me. We won't <laughs> wrap them in plastic five-minute phone call. Didn't cost anybody any money. It solved her problem. And now she trusts us, right? Now we have a relationship built on trust. And so that's, that's the path that we like to, you know, it's small steps. That's why back in the day we started with cold storage. I'm not messing with people's science with cold storage. I'm just lowering the energy use. You know, we, we work a lot in glove recycling um, because you're not changing the way people are working on the bench, but you're moving the waste side of things in a better way.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk some more about the, the women and BIPOC-led labs because that, and the small labs, actually, so all those things make, to me, make what you're doing very unique and very different because the focus is on, I, I'm imagining by small labs, you mean startups, right? Small startup labs and labs that are led by women and people of color, which almost never get any attention.
1: Exactly. That's why we're doing it, is that nobody calls on them. You know, all the distributors, they don't call on them because they're not selling 100 freezers, right? They're selling one used. You know? And that's, I mean, that's the, the thing is they're not – they want to they help. They want to change the way they do things, but they just don't – again, they don't have the resources. But what we found at the beginning in January when we launched, when we were working with individual labs, which I love. I love holding people's hands through this process. But again, if the goal is to be impactful – and help climate and carbon issues, then doing it one lab at a time is a bit of a challenge. So we've, we've migrated a little bit. We still hold people's hands, we still do those small ones individual, I love that work, but we've migrated into the incubator space. and now have relationships with four incubators here in Eastern Massachusetts. And we are we, we work with them at that inflection point where the labs that are growing up move. And at that time that they move, you can touch everything. Yep. You, can, you can do equipment selection. You can put in a new recycling process. You can put in a new glove program. You can put in your fume hood control systems. All this stuff can be done before they even arrive at the space. And then, so that they start in the best spot because it's cheaper and faster and more impactful than to go back in after they've already been there for a while, right? Yep. So that's, that's how we – again, we still work with the small guys. We love doing that. But as we realized, you know, if we put a goal of how much carbon we want to take out of the world in the next five years, doing it one lab at a time was going to be a long haul. So we're doing it, you know, one of the incubators we're working with has got 75 labs. Now we're not working with all of them, but they know us. They brought us in. One of the interesting things that we found out, so I live north of Boston and I spent most of my time in Cambridge. I got involved with what they call the North Shore Technology Council and I joined them. I went to a couple of meetings and introduced myself. And the CEO of that organization said, Balt, have you seen our, have you seen our map of all the labs north of Boston? I said, No, no. 300. Oh, wow. And so now we're working in Gloucester mm-hmm. at the Gloucester Marine Genomics Institute that, awesome. does, <laughs> that does crustacean research for, for the warming waters of New England. And they have a sustainability mission, but don't have a team. Mm-hmm. And they're women led. Donor-based nonprofit. I mean, it's just a sweet spot for us. They here's I mean, just a little bit more on that. They have a sister organization called Gloucester Marine Academy. They take kids that have just graduated high school. They don't have a path. They weren't going to go to college. Uh, They're probably going to work in a restaurant, and they bring them into a program. They do twenty-five kids a semester for free, train them to be lab techs, and place them in the industry with really good jobs, right? With benefits. In in a career, it's it's really a a blessing. There, I found my spot.
0: That's beautiful. How did you make the choice, or was it even a choice to work in this space? Because I have to point out the obvious: you're neither a woman nor a person of color, Um, (laughs) and you've never run a lab before. So I'm really curious on where this came from in your heart.
1: The thing about labs for me is, you know, they use more energy, more water, more stuff than any other building type. So on one hand, their impact on the environment, on the planet is huge, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, there's so much opportunity. There's so much you can do and you can have an impact in just what may seem like small things, but you know, you take styrofoam out of the waste stream for these labs, it's huge. Mm -hmm. I found a company outside of Boston they take styrofoam in. You can ship them a bag for 10 bucks, And they take it and they grind it up and they put it in the concrete blocks that go into retaining walls. 60% recycled material in these concrete blocks. I mean, this is, this is the stuff that we do because we, we find solutions for folks. Another good example, a fume hood, sash positions. So we now have three options. You can bring in our friends that do automated sash programs, which are wonderful. A little expensive, but they work really great. Occupancy-based. Yep. Whole, whole room stuff. Then we have another system by our friend Young Will out in San Diego. A little box that lines up. And if it's there, that's cool. If it's like this and nobody's around, a light flashes. And somebody says, I got to do something about this. That's done by our friend Jennifer, where she was at MIT. And the other thing is we have Alan Doyle's sticker for free. So when I go in and I present to talk to labs, that, that's the type of stuff we do. It's like, okay, here's your options. And we know all these people. And we can introduce you to them. And it's, it's your decision. You're going you're gonna to go in the direction that's comfortable for you. But now you have a resource to make a choice on how you, you want to deal with that. So, you know, we do that with gloves. because you, you can recycle or you can return. There's different options there. Biohazard waste. We found solutions. There's a company now that is taking red bag waste, running it through a, ma- a massive autoclave here, one town over, instead of shipping it to Pittsburgh to be burnt. And they come out with little plastic pellets that make... Pots for plants. I mean, that's the type of stuff that's very, you know, people are being really creative. Because in, in this area, during the pandemic, life science was the only industry that grew. And so, you know, we're, we've been able to take advantage of that. Having that opportunity to still engage with industry um, that, that's fully functioning was, was really awesome.
0: Yeah, it was a very unique space to be in during the pandemic because yeah. it was so bustling compared to everything else being so quiet still though back to that question why women and people of color so where does that come from
1: it comes from understanding that we live in a world of inequity and you know diversity and equity and justice is the DEIs thrown around a lot these days and the sgs thrown around a lot these days and it's all meaningful and it all is important but it's for me it's basically it's just spreading the wealth you know, I, you, you said earlier, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm a white privileged male. I get it. But that gives me, it that gives me access to places that some people don't. And if I can use that for good, seems like a time in my life to do that.
0: As far as I know, you're the only person in the lab sustainability space that's actively addressing that part of it.
1: It's interesting. I was just going to. We have, we have a really good relationship um, with the organization in Cambridge, Mass Bio. Um, and, and they've launched a, a DEI initiative. And uh, we sat with them; we have sat with them a couple of times, and we've been—they're a great partner of ours. And I—we I, were talking to their membership manager, and I said, "Do you are you able to slice and dice your membership lists into like women, black and brown, lead and that type of stuff?" And He goes, I, "I I don't know. Let me look." A week later, I got a list of forty laps. So he could, you know, and so they're there and that's a great example of like nobody really was focused on this, right? Right. I mean, DEI is up here in a place talking about being equitable, which is awesome. Um, But for us, going back to why am I different from Lab or i2SL, I use all those tools, all the Green Lab certification stuff, all the resources of i2SL, but we're on the ground. We are in the lab. That makes us different.
0: There was a time my green lab was on the ground too. I was going to say that there are people in universities who are speaking to this. You know Star mm-hmm. who was actually on the podcast a few months ago has been speaking out about this issue. But there haven't been any other organizations that I know of that are specifically addressing it. So I think from from my perspective anyway, I think you're really starting something in a way something that's really new because it's it's making it clear that sustainability isn't just about the environment. Right. When we think about what that word means, it's about all of us being able to sustain to care for ourselves and that doesn't work if you have a very large percentage of the population that is completely ignored.
1: Right. Right. And that's that's part of what I try to what I when I started this organization It was with a conscious effort to be inclusive. So when I hired Megan, a young woman just out of school, no experience in this space at all, but the look and the feel and the websites and social media and how we communicate and what she's taught me and how to be clear in our message, that's beautiful. And as we look to grow this organization, we're looking into interns coming out of small North Shore community colleges that are, you know, minority folks, Bringing them into the space, so I'm really internally as well as externally internally trying to bring people in, give them a space to learn, give them a space to grow. I I think if you know having a, a conscious where it's it's forefront in my brain, you know, to do this in this in this way,
0: mm-hmm. it's very intentional. Oh, very much so. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about starting the organization. Is that's that's something that's been on my mind. Quite a bit lately. And I feel like you're at such a perfect point to really talk about this because you're about one year in, a little shy of a year. And do you remember what I said when you said you were going to start a nonprofit? Do you remember what I said to you?
1: Most people spend $200,000 and fail.
0: Well, there's yeah, there's that. That doesn't make me sound very encouraging, but that is true. <laughs> no, <it's>, um, no. <laughs> Um,
1: so remind me what you said.
0: That it's hard.
1: Yeah. I had such unrealistic expectations.
0: Yeah. Because it's really hard to communicate what it means to be hard. So yeah, go ahead. Please share what you thought, the ex- like what your expectation was and what the reality is. Because I think people need to hear it.
1: Because, I mean, you know, I wasn't really starting completely from scratch. Because mm-hmm. I, I had relationships coming out of Cambridge and being with the utility. And so I, I, had, I had those relationships. But what's interesting is that I thought, you know, I could just parlay those relationships into donors and clients, and, you know, it's going to be February, and we're going to be fine, and everything's good. And it's like February came, and we're like, uh, nobody's returning my phone call because I don't work for the utility anymore because I can't give them money. Yep. You know, so, so that relationship changed. Um, so I had to kind of retool that a bit. What's been a, a lesson for me is a lesson in being brave. I mean, you can't go out and talk to people that, provide you're helping to provide a solution to our client without asking for money. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be a strategic partner of ours. That's great. I'll take five grand. Thank you. Um, so it's it's really the the messaging has been has been interesting. I, you know, I've I've learned a lot from you. You know, from the rest of my board, who've been amazing, who are amazing. And I think it's we're we're at a bit of a moment here. I think the recognition of the incubator space for us. I think the recognition of where our, our niches and focus on those folks that need help, it's, it really is beginning to really resonate. So long answer to, to the original question, how I felt at the beginning, I was, I'm still, I'm, I was pumped to do this. You know, I paid a bit of money to go through the IRS thing, but I didn't have to do it on my own because that, that worked out well. Um, and so once I got through that spot, bank account set up, website set up, look and feel, then we could roll. And, we've done, We've done it um, and twenty twenty three is going to be a really interesting year for us. I think we're gonna to try to bring in some more professional team um going to grow the donor base
0: knowing what it's been like for the last year, if you'd known this when you started it a year ago, would you still have embarked on this journey? Absolutely. yeah
1: probably would gotten here a little faster. <laughs> But yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's just been, um, I'm, I'm blessed that my wife, we've been together forever, and she's been so supportive of everything that we, we've done. My whole family's on board. My daughter's on my board. You know, dear friends are on my board who have no problem challenging me, and I don't like to be challenged, but I, why well, I put the board together. That's their responsibility. So I, I, yeah, I would do this again. This is an amazing experience. I would... You know, I've, I've never, I've done startups in the past, but they're all like, been, you know, for profit, selling a product, or something. But nothing like this. Nothing like where it's it's, it's, it's been an amazing experience to go into a company and they go, what, what, what do I pay you? They go, you're, you're not going to pay me. It's all pro bono. They went, really? Yeah. And then you have a conversation. You took money off the table. And now they, we're just here to help. Or shift the industry, is making the same.
0: <laughs> or both. Or both. Yeah. The reason this was in my mind is because I was attending something recently where they were speaking about what it is to start something and trying to motivate people in the room to start their own thing or or empower them to do their own thing. And in that conversation as i see and hear so often it just fell back on well you know you just put in the work and it and it's there or you you know you put it in your heart and you set your mind to it and then it just happens and it glosses over the the reality of what it is because you you on the one hand have to have that Optimism, I hear it in your voice, and I just—you like, have the optimism of somebody who's who's doing something for the first time and really working their way through it, and it's awesome. Also, there are moments where it's not that awesome, or it certainly doesn't feel like. That.
1: Usually around six in the morning
0: <laughs> on a Monday, where you, right where you wake up and you go, "What am I right. doing?
1: Yeah, what, what did I miss? Yeah, I, it's interesting. We've we've gotten involved. Um, with a group that, is, that supports nonprofits, a wide variety, variety of them, and we, we join them, and they, they have regular sessions. And two things that I've learned from that experience is the commonality between all those people that I was in that session with is the leader said, "You've got to all realize that you all feel the same thing, you probably all, all don't, you probably all think you're alone in this is that founders have a profound fear of failure. She goes, raise your hand if you feel that way. Everybody went this. And I went, I'm not alone? <laughs> Are you kidding me? So, you know, that was a, it was, it was comforting. I mean, scary, but still it was comforting that that's kind of the thing. You know, that's, all, that's part of the, of, the, of the drill here. The other part of it is she used the term, don't sell the value, sell your vanity. And so I've taken that, I've been processing that for a while. And what I took out of that is like, don't, don't sell your stuff, sell your passion and storytell. That's really, I've found that that has become such an important and critical part of my messaging is you don't, you don't come in and start talking about fumelids. You come in and start talking about carbon. And why we're here. And what we need to do to change. And what it means for the planet. And that translates into you know, a different place for folks. Because if you, now you're coming from the heart, right? And you pull them in. And then that relationship is much different than somebody coming and selling them a box of widgets. So,
0: so both of the things you said, I think, are absolutely true. And that, that part about not being alone is so critical because it it doesn't just apply to founders of of companies. it applies to anybody who's doing anything for the first time for themselves because every person listening to this has had an idea that they've decided to pursue, whether it's through research, whether it's through starting a company, whether it's you know something else painting, writing a book, whatever it is. and every time that idea comes and you have to walk towards it. It's extremely difficult by, a, by virtue of the fact that an idea is something that doesn't exist yet. And so to walk towards it, you you have to do something different, which means you have to outgrow yourself continuously to achieve it. So it's always going to be a struggle. And it feels lonely, <laughs> you know? You have
1: to get your ego out of the way. You know what I mean? It's because, you know, it's, you may not always be right. <laughs> and... and- what I found with other nonprofit founders and directors is, you know, everybody does a lot of this, you know, when you, when you say to somebody, I just started with a nonprofit and we're trying to raise a little bit of money and trying to grow and they're doing, they're in the same spot. They went, Oh my God, how's it going? You know, who are you talking to? You know, what are you, how are you, how are you reaching out for, 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 for money and how are you finding clients? You know, it's all the same, whether you're doing it in a, for a totally different industry, doing, whether it's helping the homeless, You know, it's the same thing. Another intersection for us that I was surprised is the intersection of politics. So when we were early on, we were working with some of our early labs and a lot of the big impactful stuff you can do costs money and they didn't have a budget. And so, you know, while we wanted to put in a new fume hood or a new biosafety cabinet, it it doesn't have the money. Um, So we said, well, let's see if there's, other funds out there for us. So we actually emailed Senator Warren, Senator Markey, Seth Moulton, and three local reps. And every one of them got back to us.
0: Man, I love just your audacity and just your, like, this is you. This is what I was talking about with the the rebates. Like you just go for it. It's awesome.
1: It's not that the actual senators got back to us, but you know, a legislative aide gets back to us, right? Um, mm-hmm. that says I'll research in grants for your area I'll be back in a week you know and I got a, we have a new state rep that lives in town here that I, I met at an event and she goes Steve I'm looking to put policies together in Boston and Beacon Hill for next year when I in January when I join what, what should I do I went climate. you know let's, let's, let's talk about climate policy let's talk about you know if, if labs are the growth industry in this area then let's put together something that works for them but manages the carbon so, I mean, it's, it's all there. And, and it, for me, that was a new, a new place to play. Because I'd always played kind of you know, on the ground, individually with folks, at the corporate level. Um, but to bring politics and the politicians into it has been an interesting ride for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you.
0: As am I actually hearing this. It's, it's hard to imagine just 10 years after starting my Green Lab that this would be something that politicians would support. That's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good.
0: And I also wanted to pick up on that thread of the passion and how important it is to speak from, from a place of authenticity, from a place of truth for yourself, and how much more that resonates with people than any sort of made up in your mind or like thought.
1: It's, you know, I, I go to these trade shows in the, in the life science industry, I, I've actually stopped because I don't get any value out of them anymore. But in the beginning, I'd go and try to learn, meet people, understand solutions. But it was all the same pitch, you know. It's like, let me come in, give you a presentation, give you a proposal, you know, charge you mm-hmm. 30% profit or a product I bought the other day. And, I mean, it was all, it's all the same, you know. <laughs> and it's, I got so tired of it and it just didn't, you know, and i can see how people that are just trying to do the good work day after day in their lab just kind of go oh, "I just i don't need another sales guy. Um so we've you use the word intentionally and, and moved away from that type of language. And that's the other thing i want that Megan has brought to the table for me is to be true yourself. And no don't, don't make don't make stuff up. And if you know Saying no is okay, and that's really powerful sometimes. When you go, I've been into a situation and they go, Well, you know, as as you know, at one point, I was I, a friend of mine worked at DuPont, and she called me up. She says, I just moved to Michigan, I've got a, a lab up here that needs some help. Would you give us some help? And started to work with them a little bit. and The board called me up, called me up, said, DuPont, you should be giving stuff away to DuPont. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back to DuPont and I said, I, you know, I. I like you. I'm glad you're happy. We're friends, but I can't do this stuff for you. I really can't. It's not fair. Um, and she went, "Okay, let me see what I can do." But it's just—it's that being honest and being and, and being true to your true to your mission. You know, I think there's some some something in what you said about if you do the hard work, it'll come. There's part of that's part of the, that's part of it. You know, you, you can't just sit back and wait, right? There's that. If you sit back and wait, that's not gonna, nothing's going to happen. But if, but if, but if right. you if you're true to your mission, honest with people, have integrity, and tell the truth, the right people will come to you, and that and that's you know that's what's important. At least at least to me.
0: It is true. It's also true that there are moments. I guess what I wanted to just make clear because you're in it is just that it's not it's not like every day is like that. <laughs> And it's not like it's easy. <laughs> no,
1: no. That's one of the things that I've had to <laughs> I've had to, to learn, which is a hard thing to learn. Is that like some days are just gonna go south on you. I mean, literally, it's like it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I, I nobody's returning my phone calls, and nobody's sending me an email. I can't get anybody to talk to me. I can't get anything accomplished. And all of a sudden, two thirty hits, and you're slammed. It's like six, and which is so. It's 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 understanding that that's all part of it as well. Because it's, we're small, we're a startup. We're one and a half people, you know, with a handful of folks that support us.
0: <laughs> How can you be half a person?
1: <laughs> so I mean,
0: you're two people. Two people,
1: two people <laughs> that have a passion about what we do. It's it's again keep 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 an, keep an open mind, learning all the time, knowing that things aren't going to be perfect, um, but just stay true to yourself.
0: It's really impressive to me and incredibly inspiring that you're going on this journey as someone who's a grandfather. Because it's not common for people, once they reach a certain age, to want to keep growing, to want to keep challenging themselves, to want to walk headfirst into both the challenges and the joys of growing. I think that's part
1: of the, the bright lights coming out of the pandemic, is that it, it gave people time to pause a little bit and, and kind of figure things out. One of the things that I've really tried hard to work on is, so technically I'm a baby boomer. You know, technically Megan is a general Zer. I think. I don't know. I, and I, I hate all that stuff. I hate it all. Because it, it puts people in a bucket that they may or not like to be in, you know. So if you're a young person with a passion and you're doing good work, come on, you know. I try not to let age influence me and how I interact with people. I guess that's what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. Or inhibit you from continuing to live. Right. You know, I mean, I think that that to me is what is so, there's so much about what you're doing that to me is very inspirational. The fact that you're working with a, with a group of people that have been marginalized for so long that most people forget that they're even right. marginalized—that's right. how far in the margins right. they are—and that you're bringing them into a conversation about sustainability, so that ultimately the entire industry doesn't just—I well, mean, just makes it sound like it's small, but doesn't just focus on carbon, but also focuses on how it treats people.
1: It's interesting. Early on, when we were pulling the board together and we were refining our focus. On the marginalized communities, our board president, who you know, um, is is a diversity supplier expert, and I asked her if she could introduce me into her world because I want to understand what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, from a white guy. And so she introduced me to some diversity folks in the Boston community that run really good things, and we had a couple of conversations, and I asked. the woman I was talking with, I said, what, what shouldn't I do? What should I do? I mean, I don't want to make a mistake here. I just, again, I just want to help. And she goes, nobody has ever asked me that question. Wow. So, I mean, that, that tells you a lot about people like me, you know? and So, or people that look like me. So, I I felt that that was a good step. And I, I, I think about it all the time. And I think that, if you're intentional about your approach and focused on the good work with the right people to help marginalized communities do better, I don't, know. I don't know how you can go wrong.
0: Yeah. You can't. I mean, I think we'll be having this conversation in five years and it will be that the lab project. Well, actually, let me ask you, rather than put a vision on you, what do you see for it five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road?
1: Um, I would think in, in five years, I, w- I would want to have that this organization is financially stable, has a team of professionals that are out there doing what I do right now. And, and, I, and I'd like to be a, a thought leader in the industry and not be on the ground so much. But, but I know it's a growth. It's, I know it's, it's a path. You have to start, you know, and you, you, know, you can't just jump into it, you know. I had some friends that were telling me, he says, well, you should be, you know, speaking at all these conferences. And it's like, cost you $5,000 to go to a conference. I don't have $5,000. You know what I mean? It's like, this is where we are. Um, and I know where I want to be. Again, I'm not letting age get out of my way. I'm going to continue to do this as long as the passion is there for me, which I don't see it going away. I want to continue to grow and and to pull people in, pull to pull the right people in um, to support the community. and And being able to... Feeling comfortable is not the right way to put it, but it's almost like feeling comfortable that we are delivering the goods here. We've got impact. We can measure it. That's a big thing for me that we haven't quite all figured out yet, is how do we, when we do this stuff, how, how do we measure it? A lot of industry has sustainability as part of their corporate goals, right? And one of the things that we can bring to the company is that they don't have to build a sustainability team. They can bring us in, and we can help them meet their corporate goals around being environmentally friendly. But we got to measure it. So that's one of the things we haven't, we haven't quite figured out yet. We'll get there. But just finding the right people to help do that.
0: I'm going to add something to that vision because I think it will happen without you intentionally trying to do this, which is that the lab project is, a, is local. It's local to the Boston, Cambridge area, more sure. or less, right? And I think that's another part of it that it makes it so unique and makes it a model that other people could take and be inspired by. So I imagine that people listening, people who interact with you over the next several years might be inspired to start something similar where they are. Yep. And I could see this growing into something that's that empowers people all over the country, maybe even all over the world, to start having these conversations, to start working with people in these smaller spaces, wouldn't that be amazing?
1: It'd be amazing. It'd be unbelievable.
0: Yeah. That's what I see happening.
1: The Lab Project Brussels.
0: Yeah. Right. Because because why not? And it's something that needs to happen. And as I think we've seen with other organizations that have started on the ground, it's hard to stay on the ground when you keep growing. Yep. Yeah. So if the lab project becomes this massive organization, it loses its connection almost always.
1: I yeah, that's that's very true, and and that's it's to me I I term that as controlled growth. It's, you know I wanna I wanna grow, I wanna give people opportunity, I wanna be impactful, but I don't wanna get out of control, and I wanna be in charge. I wanna be in charge, and I wanna make sure because if you get too big too fast, you lose control, and this is a labor of love for me. And so I don't want people to screw it up. So it's important who I bring in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievably critical to have the right people in place to do the right thing because those are major decisions that are not easy to get out of and they're not fun to get, not fun to get out of. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm, uh, I'm sure that'll happen at some point along the way, but it hasn't yet, so.
0: I think everything about this to me is just so amazing. That you've done this, that you took the step. And you could have retired. Like You could just be retired now. And we could be having a conversation about all the work that you did. Living in Portugal. Right. And not all the amazing things that you have in store for the next 5, 10, however many years. It's just such a great example of what it means to keep living.
1: You're very generous.
0: It's the truth. I feel very, very honored to know you. I don't know very many people who could be retired who choose to keep living.
1: Well, a lot of it has, a, has to do with you. So I think it's a good thing. I think surrounding yourself with the right people, with the right missions, doing the good stuff. You know, I, I, I don't know what I would do if I was retired. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I like playing golf, but, you know, not that much. I like to fish, but not that much. You know, so it's like, but what the heck would I do? You know, and so it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense (laughs) to me, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't understand retirement either, but I don't know many, very many people who feel that way.
1: (laughs) It's all right. That's okay. It gives us more opportunity.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're only here for a short amount of time. Why not make the most of it? Exactly.
1: Exactly. I mean, again, we got three grandsons. we got a carbon problem. Uh. We can save it. We can do this. It's just you you, you can't just ignore it and go away. That to mm-hmm. me that to me is the whole bottom line. It's like you just can't ignore this stuff. See, I, I even have a fake fireplace.
0: I know. I was <laughs> noticing that. <laughs> I do love the fake fireplace. I like imagining okay. I like imagining the person who had to create that and just like everything about that makes me laugh that there that somebody had to sit there and be like how do i make fire look like it's real or how do i make this fake fire look real is such a funny thing
1: turn the volume up it crackles.
0: really yeah it's just so funny to me i don't know why but the first time i saw one i laughed so hard (laughs) i was in tears because i just like i loved imagining that that was something that somebody did And just thinking, did they want to do that, or were they just, you know, just fell into that line of work?
1: (laughs) You know, yeah. Who
0: knows? I don't know. It's very funny. Um, Right. Thank you for all of this. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your vision and your passion today.
1: Been amazing. Thank you. It's been great,
0: I really appreciate your being on, yeah, it's been so wonderful. I'm glad that we didn't wait actually till next year. This is such a great way for people to be inspired right before the holidays, right before they start reflecting on
1: yeah what's important
0: yeah, thank you. Thank you. okay. We'll speak soon,
1: okay take
0: care bye, bye.